Welcome to the More to Black podcast. If you've been looking for an online community of people who have taken the roads less traveled that decided to study an African language or promote the diaspora, then look no further. Join us for bi-weekly episodes as we learn from these inspirational individuals and apply their steps to your life today. I'm your host, Taisha Cole. Let's dive in. Everyone, welcome to the show. Today, our guest is Miss C. Nicole. She is the founder of the Pan-African Think Tank, a nonprofit organization dedicated to bridging bridging the cross-cultural divide and gap between the diaspora and the continent. She's literally been hosting forums throughout the continent, in the Caribbean, many, many countries, bringing Uh, different age groups together, but especially millennials. I've been watching her on Instagram and had to reach out and uh, have her as a guest. I'm really excited about this. So um, yes, without further ado, Miss C. Nicole, tell us more about yourself and how you ended up forming this as an, an entire organization. So I'm C. Nicole. Um, the C stands for Kristen. I just really don't say it because you'll be surprised how many people don't know how to pronounce Kristen. <laughs> um, so I just go by C. Nicole. A um, little bit about myself is I am 29 years old. Mm. I um, graduated college at 20, went to the University of Houston, got a chance to study abroad in London and throughout Ghana. So that's when I first got my first travel bug. Um, I got a degree in marketing, and I do work in marketing. I'm self-employed. I do other things as well. I'm an author. I published my first book in January. Um, Mm. I sing as well. So just a plethora of things. I started Pan-African Think Tank because I saw that there was um, something missing. You know, people say it's only really beneficial to start something if you see something missing. Uh, Yeah. Before I started Pan-African Think Tank, I had been to 79 countries. Wow, wow, wait, pause. (laughs) You have been to 79 countries? Well, today I've been to 93, but then it was 79. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah, we will definitely, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna, okay, okay, keep going. I have to pause you for a second on that. (laughs) So, um, there was one country in particular, I think my seventh. 79th country was Brazil, and throughout my life, people had told me, don't go to Brazil, Um, Mm. Brazil is very unsafe, and so, of course, I'm a very fearless person, I'm like, when God wants me to go, I'll go, Um, so Mm -hmm. I went to Brazil, and magically, it was the place that made me start Pan-African Think Tank, so the place people were telling me not to go was the place that I needed to be in order to make this happen. Um, I was in the favelas, which is the ghetto, and uh, one of my guys, he told me that in school they don't learn bro geography and history. And I was like, wait, they can't point to their country on a map, let alone know where they come from. Like, that's so important in your genetic, like, structure. It makes it, like, in your mind, mentally, like, I can't see how these people don't think they're missing something, but then I was also able to see how Afro-Latinos don't want to align themselves with the continent, because a lot of them don't know where they come from. Uh, so I felt that it was important to not to bridge this gap, um, to help the youth know where they come from. I came home from that trip and I asked my nephew, who was six at the time, I asked him, where did he come from? Mm. And he was just like, Texas, because we live in Texas. And I was like, okay, well, who are your ancestors? He was like, what are ancestors? I was like, oh my goodness, 
mm. I myself have all this wealth of knowledge, all this information. I'm looking at someone who's with me all the time. He doesn't even know. So not only am I failing on my end, I also need to help everyone else who don't know, who don't know as well. So we have, you know, Generation Z, we have Generation Alpha. So I took it upon myself to say, hey, like, not only do we need to bridge the gap, we need to learn each other's history. We need to learn our history. Yes. Um, we need to see why we have these problems that we have now and try to realistically fix them. So, mm. and ask you think tank. <laughs> yes. And what, what year was the organization founded? We were founded in August 2019, so we just had our one-year anniversary not too long ago. Okay, okay, that's what I thought, yeah, really recent, wow. Okay, you're going to have to rewind, though, um, because you said you're also an author, your background is marketing. Um, what's the title of your book? I definitely want to link it in our show notes, too. We're always trying to promote. So, uh, my first book is called um, American Presidential Parties, Their Relevance to People of African Descent. So, it started off as research, because when African think tank, we have to do research, and I was just trying to figure out what have these presidents did and didn't do for people of African descent, mm. and um, there wasn't anything out there like that, so I decided to just write it. Um, a lot of times, people of African descent in America, they're politically tied to one party, and I'm trying to, I was just trying to understand why, because um, you should vote for your community needs, not for a certain party, so mm-hmm. um, I felt I needed to write the book. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Apple Books. It's an audio book out as well. So if you don't want to read, you can listen. I'm definitely more of a listener, hence the podcast, but you know, just with busy life and whatnot. I, I have a, I have a huge bookshelf, but they just mainly just sit there for the, the look of it. You know, one day I'll get to <laughs> actually read, but, um, okay, no, I will certainly check it out at least by audio. Okay. And then you said, so your first African country though was Ghana. What year was that and what were you specifically doing um, studying there? So my first African country was Ghana in 2010. And there's a crazy story behind how I got to Ghana. So um, I have to, in college I had to take a class about, you know, like different cultures. And so I am mixed with Mexican as well. So I was going to either do Mexican studies or African studies. Mm. And at the time, the only class available was African studies. So I got in the class, but I was trying to study abroad in London. And so I, t- I asked the professor, could he write me a letter of recommendation? And he was like, I don't understand why everybody wants to go to Europe, but no one wants to go to Africa. So I'm a woman of my word. So I told him, I said, if you write me this letter of recommendation, I promise I'll go with you guys the following year to Ghana. Mm. So that's how I got to Ghana. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and so I was there doing African studies. And at your school, when you went to Ghana with your, your, I guess, your professor and your classmates, were you one of the only few people of color or were there more of you? It was only people of color. It was through the African Studies Department. Um, it was about 15 of us. It was definitely a shock because coming from studying abroad in London where everything is like a Western world and everything you're used to is there and then going into Ghana, it was just like, ooh, I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's Yeah, that's an interesting experience. My first time uh, to the continent at least was... 
I was the only African-American in my group. And I think there were like 15 or maybe 18 um, like white American students from Yale, Harvard, like all the big schools. We came through a, a study abroad group. But um, my experience was like so different than theirs, you know, not in a in a bad way or anything, but it, it right. was different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes the embassy would literally think that I was a local Kenyan pretending to mm-hmm. be a black American to follow oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, these, um, <laughs> these American students. And so they would try to talk in Swahili really like before I really learned Swahili, they would try to talk really fast to see if they would catch me slipping up. And I was like, I'm about to be lost in Nairobi if you don't let me get back with this group in English, right? And so right. they they eventually let that go, but it, it took a while. So, um, okay. I think that's really interesting. I think because you went like, I've always traveled solo. Mm-hmm. So I've never like had a group, but yeah, that sounds, yeah, that's a book. That's a story. That's it, a movie. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was weird. Um, okay, so which parts of of Ghana did you all get to explore and study in? And were you? What about the language component of of your travels there? So we studied in like um, Accra, which is the capital. We studied in Hull. We stored in uh, studied in Kumasi. We studied in Cape Coast. Okay. Um, the language was English. Like, of course, they spoke Asante and all of that, but yeah. not really because the business language is English. Um, we were lucky to have this amazing guy. I mean, he had everything prepared, like charter buses and, I mean, people getting our luggage and, you know, the American way and, you know, mm-hmm. these hotels and whatnot. And so he got to show us a lot that I don't think I would have seen alone. We also got to go to some beautiful waterfalls. We got to make kente cloth. We got to dye our own fabric. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of things. Um, so the language is English. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm glad you still got some exposure to like, you know, the Twi and all of the other indigenous ones. Okay. So circle back though. You said at the time you had been to 79 countries. That's, I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm still digesting that. That's, that's crazy. And at this point it's 91. How... Did you make that happen? Um, so I'm self-employed in marketing. It was it was not um, by choice. It was just I had to do it. I graduated during the recession when there were no jobs, so I had to make my own job. Um, therefore, the first few years after college, I was working so much, and I had this one incident where the client, like, I had been busting my tail, and he was just acting like I had never been, you know, at 100%. Like, at this point, I was tired. I was helping, you know, because he had a lack of people in there and needed help, and he was just, like, acting crazy towards me, and I think I was, like, 23, going on 24, and I was, like, forget this. Like, these people don't care about me. Like, if mm. I was to go tomorrow, they'll find someone else to, like, help out. So I said I would t- start taking a sabbatical every year. So two months a year, I would just get away. Um, I would grind, grind, grind while I was at home, and then for two months, I would just go off. And so for in doing that, um, for two months since 2015, I do at least 14 to 15 countries every sabbatical. So what? that's how it added up quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So do you, so do you like, I guess like give me a region that you would, or a country you would start off with and then kind of branch out and tell me like for a two month period where you would go. I mean, it's so many countries I'm yeah. sure it would take forever, but yeah, give me a taste. <laughs> <laughs> 
that I would hop around in is like Europe, because Europe is so close to Africa, so sometimes I would like go back and forth, but like when I did my Asia sabbatical, I pretty much stayed in Asia, I think I dipped into Oceania for like Australia, New Zealand, but in like, like South America, I get the whole South America, uh, for Africa, I usually try to stay in Africa, but for Europe, I was running out of countries that I wanted to go to, so that's when I kind of like dipped to North Africa and things like that, but mm. I usually try to stay regional. Wow, that's just okay. And so you were so you were traveling alone. How did you? I guess like what gave you the the audacity? I guess because yeah. yes, it is the audacity. Yeah, because you know we're we're told so much. You know it, whether it's by society or individual family. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you know the the fear is oh my gosh, you're you know a single Fear's woman. Real. Yeah. Um, yeah. What gave so you courage? Okay. So growing up, I've always, I've never looked at the world as a weird place. You know, like my dad's six five, so like, who am I scared of? Like, you know. Mm. And so I'm 5'8", but people tell me I'm really intimidating, and I think it's because I'm just very strong in my stance. I was raised by a single father, so you know, I look up to a man as my example. So that's kind of sometimes how I carry myself. And so, a lot of people, like, don't even want to bother me because they're like, oh, like, she's mean, she's this, she's that. So, that kind of, like, keeps people at bay from messing with me. Uh, I mean, I am an attractive female, and but I, when I talk to people, I'm very strong in my voice. I kind of put a little bass in it, and so, yeah. Yeah. You can talk to me, but I'm going to be like, uh, you don't have to go. Like, we're done. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Um. I had to tell, my father knew at an early age that I was a rebel. Like, I was going to do what I set out to do, and that was going to be it. So in order to calm his nerves, before I leave, I set an itinerary. It tells you where I'm going to be. It tells you what I'm going to be doing that day. It tells you my hotel, my airline confirmation number. Okay. It, um, he has my, pass, my passport information. Like, he, I have several phones, so he always can reach me. There's... If you ever, if, if you ever think my battery dies, and that's when he has to look out for me, because I have three phones. So it's like, oh, you're going to find a way to contact me. My battery's not going to die. Um, so okay. They know that any time of the day, I should be picking up for them. I stay time while I'm there. So just something I send it to my whole family to keep them at ease so they know where I am. And so if someone ever thinks they're trying to kidnap me, you're going to be SOL because... Yeah, yeah. No, you gotta, you gotta keep it safe for sure. When, when I was in Nairobi in particular, like occasionally, or one time I got on the wrong bus. Um, and there, you know, are so many languages in Nairobi as well because it's a melting Mm -hmm. pot. Yeah. So they went from speaking like Swahili with me to like Shang, which is like the the slang of Swahili, right? to like mm-hmm. Somali mixed with a little bit, like they were throwing Chinese words in there and <laughs> wow. it, it got, it got uncomfortable because yeah, like my, I had passed my neighborhood. It was getting dark and I was the only person on the bus at that point. And I knew I was like in Swahili Shang, they call it being gory, like basically gangster, basically. And I just played like the submissive wife role. I was like, yo, I need to. And I had like a engagement ring going, which was, um, you know, just for safety, just to, to kind of send that message that like, yeah, yeah. Like someone will come looking for me, you know, like, 
And so I was just like playing that role. Like, yo, my husband is at home. He's waiting for me to get home and cook this dinner. Like, I don't feel like arguing with him tonight. So, and they like, are you sure you don't want to go out for drinks? And I'm like, nah, you know, I'm gonna see y'all on the bus tomorrow. And they was like, all right. And they turned the bus around, you know? So yeah, I, I, I feel you in terms of like being able to just hold your ground and just having that confidence in yourself, you know, even if you, you got to fake it until you make it, you know? So, I mean, there's several times, and as a woman, I would definitely say like anyone who travels with me knows or like travels with me, travels or I'm by myself or just my family in general. Like I'm always going to be in the house by 8 PM on the time, like whatever time zone I'm in. Like Mm. I, I don't play about that. Like if I'm not in the house at 8 PM, it's because I'm at a restaurant that's only next door. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I have to be in by a certain time, that's so why I'm up early, because, you know, you just don't know. You've never been here before. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So tell me, tell me more about, like, the mission of Pan-African Think Tank, and specifically um, the long list of countries you all have already been in, like, as an organization. So our mission is to bridge the gap between Africa and the African diaspora through Pan-African forums that assist with research as a means to collectively advocate. Um, Our vision is Africa and the African diaspora as one. We have been to Botswana, Rwanda, Mm. Tanzania, Uganda, Zambia, Haiti, Brazil, and Kenya. So we're trying to do 34 countries. we had eight out the way, you know, COVID kind of slowing us down, but we're going to get there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And what, what was, give me like your top three favorite experiences, like in terms of, it could be like the food or just the forums itself. Like, tell me about some of the, your favorite, um, conversations that came about from these forums. So my favorite has to be my first form, which was in um, Gaborone, Botswana, because having your first form, you don't know what to expect. You don't know how the turnout will be. You don't know how people will perceive you. Um, it was our largest form with like 70 plus people. Wow. <laughs> they were so engaged to the point that I was like, like we're, we're way past our time. It's getting so dark. Like, I know you guys have school in the morning. Um, it was at the University of Botswana um, with mm. a great organization. And I was just so thankful. And I just had people come to me and they were like, we need this. And I was just like, yes, this is new opportunity. Because this nonprofit thing is really hard. <laughs> yes. Um, and then my second favorite was when I was in Kigali, Rwanda, I went to the African um, Leadership University. The reason why that university stood out to me was because it was the first Pan-African University I've ever seen in my life. I'm talking about we had people from all over Africa and within the African diaspora in one university. It was just like mm. the United Nations of Pan-Africa, and I didn't know that something like this could happen. I think like the president of the university was from California. And it was just, it just blew my mind, like, all these beautiful brown faces from all over the world, like, coming together as one to learn Mm. in Kigali, Rwanda, which is a top-tier country in Africa, um, all the president is doing so much, like, to just try to bring Africa, you know, past even European standards. Yeah. So, it was just, like, 
wow, like, is this Wakanda? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> I jotted that, that down. You said um it was the name of the school is the Afro Leadership University. African Leadership University in Rwanda. I am definitely going to follow them online and just even see if I can um like yeah, like interview someone or just like audit a class or something. That's amazing. And I know like Rwanda is really blowing things out the water. Like my background is environmental policy and I've been watching them because I think Rwanda is rated as Africa's cleanest country. They banned plastic over 10 years ago at this point, like plastic bags and and waste in that manner. And I think the, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the president um, kind of enforces this like national monthly event where once a month, Everyone in the country, as long as they're able-bodied, um, participates in like a cleanup, uh, just a street cleanup in their community. To, yeah, to just keep that morale up. And I'm like, wow, like simple leadership tactics that get everyone on board, you know? Um, so yeah, that's that's a top country, Rwanda, that I'm very excited to see myself. Um, but wow, so you said... In Botswana, you guys had over 70 people attend your first forum. And like you said, obviously your your background is marketing, but like how are you how are you getting the word out um before you get to the country or the city? How are you making sure that people actually know about the Pan-African think tank movement? It's really just being a stalker stalker girlfriend, like far, <laughs> far beyond FBI, because when I first do like okay, I'll different organizations, you know, just the first layer. You're like, oh, okay, these are some nice organizations. I'm going to email them. Yeah. And then they don't answer your email. Then you're like, okay, let me go into FBI mode. Let me try to find, like, some other emails, some phone numbers. So mm. then you do that. And then if they don't, you know, hit you back, okay, it's time for me to go to Stalker Girlfriend. <laughs> let me find who you know that may know you. Let me find some WhatsApp. Let me find some more emails that you just may be associated with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until I get someone. And I usually do. I usually get someone. The only country I didn't get anyone was South Africa. That country is, hmm, it is it is a very interesting country knowing that they just came out of apartheid in 94. They have a long way to go. And it's just yeah. hard to just go through the politics and the dynamics of that country. So, Okay. Every other country was great. Um, mm. I found someone. I um, try to contact them four months in advance, and a lot of them tell me that's way too far in advance. And I'm like, no, it's not. Because by the time we actually like solidify the plans, it's gonna be like the day before the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, time flies. Um, that yeah, that's how I go about it. I do. I make flyers. Um, we have a simple like um, across the board flyer. I just change the colors and change the 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 information so they know when they see it as a Pan-African think tank flyer. Um, I give that to the organization so they can kind of spread the word. Some organizations we have a lot of people, some we only have what they can get because of like infrastructure and logistics and things like that. Okay. Um, but uh, we just make it work. Okay. Okay. And you said you were in the Caribbean, you were in Haiti uh, most recently. Um, <clears throat> so there's definitely like a perception with how you know, the the Caribbean see others in the diaspora, you know, like you hear about the fights between um, Dominica and Haiti and like all of the other um, island countries and how, you know, 
so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so what was that like yeah to actually be there for for the unification of black people in general i feel for the caribbean the reason why i feel for the caribbean as a founder of anything like you have to be a leader and as a leader i always put myself in other people's shoes Mm -hmm. i don't want my bias to um change the situation and being in the shoes of Caribbean I feel for them because a lot of people forget about them Mm. like when I'm in Africa they forget about the Caribbean I'm like how like that's Pan-Africanism that's Marcus Garvey like I'm not understanding how you can't forget that they exist Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and then so I understand how their attitude can be towards others because it's like I didn't really care about us y'all don't even talk to us and so being in Haiti was uh, very interesting because you hear so much about Haiti when you think of Haiti like it's so sad that when I tell people I'm going to these countries they're like oh you're going on a mission trip yeah no I'm not going on a mission trip like I'm going to see my people yeah yeah (laughs) so being in Haiti and talking to them realizing that no, not really. They want to be included. They want to be connected, but nobody is making the effort. Mm-hmm. So to the point that one of the young men that I met, um, one of the leaders of the group, he was telling that he really wanted to be connected to Africa. And so I linked him with the organization in Nigeria that mm-hmm. I talked to. And they hit it off. Like, they talked to each other all the time now. And the guy in Haiti was like, just thank you for connecting me to the continent. Like, I had no one to connect me. Mm-hmm. So that's what Pan African Think Tank is about. Like, I'm happy to make the connection. We are all are one. We're all together. So the whole the dislike is really like a facade. They dislike because they don't know. Mm-hmm. Simple. Yeah, I I'm just I'm taking it all in, girl. Because I even think about like the generational divide. Like how you were mentioning your your nephew being only six years old. I think you said, and. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are not taught world geography. That's something that um, like language, black languages and teaching geography to our youth is something that's like really close to my heart Very because, important. yeah, it's just like this is where the, the self-hate comes from. This is where the skin, yes. um, the skin bleaching comes from, you know, oh, like colorism is like a whole subject. Yeah. Alone. Like yeah. Like, oh my goodness. That's a whole season of podcast episodes, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, but it is, you know, it's like, and of course we look at like our mothers and grandmothers, you know, their generation, they didn't have like free podcast episodes to like, I just connected with you literally just reaching out on a free platform. You know I mean? We know it's paid for through mm-hmm. advertisers and, and whatnot, like through marketing and stuff, but free to the user, essentially like our, you know, generations before us, history was destroyed. You know, hate was taught on both sides from oppressors and, and we have been disconnected for centuries. And so, you know, when you ask our grandparents, a lot of them will say, well, like, for example, oh, those Jamaicans or Dominicans, they they didn't speak to me in school. You know, they thought they were better than us, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, when you talk to some of the... I mean, we even still have that between continental Africans yes. and African diaspora. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I really, really think it's sad when I've, I've been just on like Instagram and stuff. And I, I know, I guess some of these things are what they call the, the robot tr- trolls. Like they're not even real people, mm-hmm. um, which I'm like, wow, like who is really spending their time, but people who want to promote division, that's who. So, 
you know, I'll see, I guess some of them might be real people. Some of them are not, but they're just like saying really nasty things like, um, you know, y'all black Americans ain't really African, or it might be like y'all Africans ain't really blah, blah, blah. And it's like, nah, oh, y'all. And one thing that I just want to point out that's like really that I've been hearing lately. Yeah. Um, the cultural appropriation that Africans feel African Americans have. Yes. That, that's the whole conversation that confuses me. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> it's it's really it's really hard because it's like you know again we're gonna see uh, we all have different perspectives right but at this at the same time. When I talk to my continental African friends, it's like you all have the privilege of even though your country went through this with uh, colonialism, you still have your language intact. You still have your culture essentially intact. If you if you want to dig for it, it's there, you know, but everyone else who was like they say, we just got dropped off by different slave ships in different countries, Mm -hmm. you know, and we know like not all. Yes. You know, we know like not all black people around the the world are a product of the transatlantic slave trade. Not all, but obviously like a lot. And yeah, yeah. And so it's like, yeah, um, until we are doing those um, DNA tests where we can trace exactly where we come from, like, I'm sorry, we don't see it as appropriation, because if you look at my skin, if you look at my hair, I am a person of African descent. Can so. I tell you one thing that is so crazy? Because, yeah. like, I do music and I had someone reach out for my label about, you know, getting on some African platforms. Mm. And they literally wrote back and said, we only support African artists. Mmm. Whoa. Said, That's weird because in America, they will swear up and down. Wow. <laughs> It'd be, it'd be, yeah, the colorism, the like, you know, the, uh, for, for, for some of y'all who know the, um, the brown paper bag test, you know, like if you're this complexion, you can pass or you won't. It's yeah, we, our youth need this. Like, you know, I'm raising Uh a daughter now. She's almost two and I'll be damned if she grows up confused about her history, her place in this world, you know, like. I want her to know that, you know, wherever we're living, if you're uncomfortable in a space, there's a whole damn continent you can explore and outside of it, you know, because a lot of people don't know, like, is it over like 80% or more of the, the enslaved people of the continent they went to Brazil, like, you know, where Bahia is at. And so we don't know a lot about the, yeah, about the Latino, Latina community. Yeah. That's what's like now. How, okay. How was the food? How was, I know, like, I know Portuguese is the language of, you know, Brazil, but when, when you were in Bahia, um, or explored okay. other parts, did you hear, um, other like non-European languages? Like I, when I was in, um, Guatemala with friends, shout out to you, Emily, if you're listening, um, she, she took us to Guatemala cause her family is from there. We were volunteering just in college and, uh, I learned of the Garifunian population, which again, I'm not a person who has actually studied like African diasporan issues, like, um, 
in school, you know, I've, I've just been learning through my personal personal life or whatever. But when I learned like there was an actual group of people, the Garifunian people in Guatemala and Honduras, and that there's a population in uh, New York, and I believe even in Texas as well, um, I just became so intrigued that they kept their language intact, that um, they have their cultural and like and food and there's just so much there. But again, you would never know if you didn't research this. So did you did you hear other languages outside of Portuguese there? No, it was mostly Portuguese um, because Brazil did this thing like years and like almost centuries ago about the racial democracy where they tried to make it seem like they were all one and not yeah. and all that. So <laughs> they kind of everybody kind of like speaks Portuguese. <laughs> mm, okay, okay, okay. Ah, oh, that is a shame. Yeah, I I hope to hear more stories of like resistance from people, like you know, because I know I I wonder like us when you were in. Where were you in um, in South America outside of Brazil, like for the Pan-African um, think tank? I went to, um, it was during my sabbatical, so I went okay. to everywhere but Bolivia and Paraguay. I think those were two countries that I just didn't care to go to, but I went to all the others. Okay. And yeah. did you, so did you meet other diasporans in those countries? And if so... Um, what was your, what was your feedback Mm -hmm. from them? Like, did they feel like they were resisting assimilation? Like how, you know, African-Americans do in, in this country, or was it more so, you know, they're blending in to, to, to survive essentially. So in Argentina, a lot of them were wiped out, um, Mm. because they wanted to, people like generation, generation to keep breeding with white people to wipe them out. So Mm. I found a few in Argentina, um, they were cool, and I lot of them spoke English. Obviously, they spoke Spanish. Um, there were some in Ecuador. It's a really big population, kind of like about the border. Um, I didn't get to stay long and talk to them, but I know they do keep their African ancestry intact. Um, they have like these parades and things yearly. Um, I went to Suriname, which is crazy because I, when I got to Suriname, I felt like I was in Africa. Mm. I never went to a country outside of Africa that was so African. <laughs> And I was like, I feel like I'm kind of back in Ghana a little bit. This is crazy. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. That was cool. Columbia is weird because Columbia, they've been taught to hate themselves. Um, a lot of people don't, they don't like to assimilate with the word or the culture of African, but they're, they're growing. Like their consciousness is coming. Um, let's see another country. Mm. There were a few in Uruguay and they actually have a parade every year um, and do a carnival every year to pay homage because, you know, it's like, People can say Tango came from Argentina. No, it didn't. Tango came from the Congo, and they kept it going in Uruguay and Argentina. Um, mm, mm, she dropping so knowledge on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about so appropriation. I'm, I'm talking about like a lot of things. Um, that's why you get the sounds in Brazil, the capoeira, you know, where it's like, it looks like dancing um, martial arts, but mm-hmm. that was just something they, they tried to keep intact. Um, so it's just a lot. I went to Guyana, which is completely like an African descent. I mean, there's Indians in there because of that trade as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it really just depends on, I, I've learned that countries that kind of speak more like English or like Dutch, they kind of keep to the African roots. A lot of the Spanish countries try to like, oh, I'm not of African descent. I'm like, that's all like Latino is. It's nothing but um, European and and. 
um, the indigenous and African. Like, that's how you get Latino. So I don't know what you're talking about, but whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so tell me about like, what are some of the, the top solutions or the common themes that are coming out of the forums for the participants to say, like, we need to, you know, change your work on as a people. Education is really up there. Um, and not even just education, but what is being taught. Mm. So that is like major, um, equality is up there because it's like there's sometimes like as a founder of a think tank like a nonprofit, I'll try to get hop on calls just to show my support and there's sometimes I have to hop off calls so I'm like this is ridiculous like mm. you guys I can't do this mm. um, I've had calls where they will be talking about the rights of women in Africa with a all male panel formed by a male founder organization for women and it's just like you don't even see that what European what the Europeans did to you you're now these African men are doing to the women like you're talking about us like we're objects like we're toys like you're going to help us figure out our way wow <laughs> like yeah this is interesting because you know as a woman from the western world our mentality is also like what so <laughs> yeah yeah mm, it's different Very interesting. <laughs> it's different and I know like some societies like I, I'm not like a anthropologist like but I know some societies are led by you know like women and they're just like not promoted they're not they're definitely you know not in the media it's not what you're going to run into like on social media or whatever but um right. yeah I think that's like the beauty of what you're doing because Every time you go to a country, you know, you're getting so many different ethnic groups within that country to come and share mm-hmm. their experiences with you all. And being a woman, um, so Africa started as a matriarch society. It was the Europeans came in and made a patriarch society. But as a woman traveling, it's weird because there are sometimes, like, when I would get interviewed by people, like, one time when I was in Uganda, she was like, well, in Uganda, you're not really a woman until you're like married and about to have kids and I said well I guess I'll never be a woman because I really don't I, if I was a, in the first grade I've never planned to get married and have kids like that was never on my agenda mm-hmm. so I said oh well guess I'm not a woman um but for this Pan-African think tank right yeah so, <laughs> so you 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 just all these different mindsets and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to go in and change mindsets um because you you come into this world alone, you leave this world alone, and I don't understand why I need someone by my side to make me a complete person. Yeah. And so to be a woman founder of a think tank and going into all these countries and all these men having to deal with me and only me, they're sometimes kind of like, well, there's no one, no, there's no one else. So yeah. you're going to deal with me or you're not going to deal with me, and then it's fine. I'll just fill it with another country because all these countries need yeah yeah absolutely i think uh it yeah it's it's something that they are some it's a generational thing i believe you know because like the millennials across the board you know especially those of us who are fortunate enough to have different levels of education you know we are more accepting and uh, we promote each other like whether you are male female lgbtq Mm -hmm. IA, let me make sure I put the IA in there. 
Um, you know, we, we celebrate each other. I think generally speaking, obviously not, not everyone in the millennial generation, but yeah, I think that's, that's definitely like a generational difference. Um, what's the typical age group of the participants in the forums? Like, I mean, I know it's a a vast comparison, but yeah. So, um, usually if there is someone from generation X, which is like my parents' generation, um, mm. they're usually like maybe the founder of the organization or they may be like the advisor of the organization. But we really try to keep it to millennials and Generation D. So I prefer college and above, like college age and above. Um, mm-hmm. That's usually, so we can say 17 to 35. That we That's like kind of the age range. Okay, okay, wow. Mm. And after the forums are over, what what happens? What's the next step for the participants and for the Pan-African think tank in that country? So after the forums are over, they'll get a PDF of what we spoke about. So uh, it'll, just, it'll have one column about things that they want to change and want to see happen within their country. Then the next column would be about things they want to see and want to change within Africa. And then, um, if I'm in Africa, the next co- the next column would be about how they feel and about Pan Africa and what they think should take place. But if I'm in an African diaspora country, that column would be filled with what do they think about Africa and what do they want to see take place in Africa. Um, so I send those out to other organizations every time we have a forum, just so they can try to keep up with what's going on in these different countries. And then at the end of all of these forums, you're going to have a Pan-African Think Tank Convention where all the leaders of these organizations come together um, and we sit down and we map out what the top 10 issues are um, Mm. collectively and how can we start realistically solving the top three issues. I let them know that this is a long haul. This is something that's not going to be completed in this generation. So if in this generation we focus on the top three, they can continue in each generation after can focus until we reach the top 10 and keep honing on the 10 that we have. Mm, 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 mm. That is, first of all, it takes true dedication. Um, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's like not for the faint of heart, but I can easily see how like your entire life experience, like how you were saying, um, you were kind of raised to be, to be fearless in a way you were raised and were already a rebel in your own sense. Um, you know, then you went off to study marketing. You've been traveling as a solo woman for years. Like, I feel like you're really walking in your purpose, even being able to use your, you know, your your education to, to further the mission of the Pan-African Think Tank. And it's just a beautiful thing to see and a, a great story to hear because people like literally all over the world girl are like looking at you um in this position of of leadership and then you know the next generation after they're gonna say well if you know see nicole was doing this like what what can i do maybe maybe what i want to do isn't so far fetched after all you know so i i think like yeah this next generation i'm very excited to see what they look like in terms of their level of consciousness, their level of self-love and love for, you know, each other around the globe. I don't, I mean, especially with like, you know, everything that's going on politically, I feel like, yeah, some of these issues of 
us assuming, you know, we don't like each other or um, just issues like that, I think are slowly in a way like going to disappear slowly. Um, but, but it takes work like this, you know, and you really have to do this like from the heart because it's hard to, you know, make a salary or pay yourself like this. It's, it's There's so many times that I just wanted to like just flip it and turn it into an LLC because I can run a business. I run businesses all day. Yeah. But having a nonprofit is hard because legally you can't 100% fund it yourself and I'm having to ask people for money and I don't like asking anyone for money. Like I've never even asked my parents for money. So yeah. it's, oh, it's, it's something else. <laughs> yeah. And so talk about that a little bit. Like I know with nonprofits, you know, obviously the mission is like, it's, it's, it's not for profit, but you are allowed to be self sustainable. Like in the future, what do you think the future looks like for the think tank? Um, will you all be able to sell services possibly like to organizations who want to like continue this work in their own regard maybe or i guess like yeah how do you think you can make mm-hmm. it more sustainable or or get people so, along the way the way we try to get people to donate um and that's just, it's just coming from an american standpoint but i americans are very interesting people they really don't donate unless they get something in return <laughs> so, okay we actually have a pan african thing tank photo line um we okay. have shirts we have um bandanas for the mask we have sweaters we have also a diaspora line for kids and adults and like the more fashion forward line um we we have towels we have flags Mm. we have bomber jackets Mm. i mean we have a pair i mean we we started um we just got some samples for sweatpants and jogger pants we're gonna see how those go but we have those as well we have um pins that we give out the forms you can like tack on your shirt or your your blazer uh, we have patches, iron on patches in case you just want to iron it on something. Um, that's where our marketing comes in. So we have a bunch of apparel. Um, just thinking it's something in return. Even when you've done it our, on our GoFundMe, we also offer packages for people who you know who do have the money and you want to come with us during one of our forums. So you can come with us. We'll pay for your flight and um, your hotel and all that. So you kind of see how it goes down. Mm. But. Um, that's what we try to do, just more of the clothing, because in America, you know, things have to seem cool. And so when I walk around in my Panasonic Think Tank, they're like, oh, where'd you get that, girl? Oh, you're wrong. Like, go to PanasonicThinkTank.com, you know, yes. like, you know, PanasonicTC.org slash shop, and it's all there. Um, so that's how we're trying to raise money. And the other way we're trying to raise money is I also sing. So literally right now, like last night, I came from a session. I'm in the studio coming out with Panasonic Think Tank volume one, two, three, four. And each mm. one of those consists of music and songs that are something you can vibe to. And I also sprinkle history and drop knowledge throughout all the songs. I'm a very melodic songwriter, so I know it's going to be catchy. So okay. I'm trying to hit you with the apparel, with the music. I mean, we're just trying to get donations because this is not cheap. Like, these flights, not cheap. And the first seven forms, I actually funded myself. Because once again, with the Americans, they need to see what you're doing before they
thankful for that. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's a that's beautiful um, too, especially during COVID. Yeah. Okay. Definitely, like COVID started. I had started the fundraiser the week after. I was like, oh, God, Uh-oh. what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just going. I'm gonna keep the faith. I'm just gonna keep the faith. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. That's what's up. Okay. So, okay. So you said mention that website one more time, though. So you can find all things Pan African Think Tank at panafricantt.org. If you put panafricantt.com, it doesn't matter. I bought both domains. It just relinks you back to where you need to be. Okay, so, smart. Don't worry. See, that's that marketing genius in you right <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> that's what's up. Okay, thank you for just just walking in your purpose, you know, because like you said, it is not easy. Sometimes you're like, should I be doing this? But yes. yeah, it's, it's worth it when you just connect with one or a few people, you know, who didn't even know you from a can of paint. And they're like, yo, you I'm just tell you, they keep me going. Yeah. Like you just helped change my life. You just helped make my day. Like I see I'm not alone in my, my experiences. So keep going, Miss C. Nicole, and I'm, I'm following your work. Um, maybe after COVID, I might be able to jump on a plane eventually. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, I'm for sure a, a lifelong supporter. We need this. We need you and Pan-African Think Tank efforts. So um, everyone, please go ahead and follow her Instagram handle as well so you can get more information. What's the handle? Yes, everything is at Pan African TT. Okay. So T and T, like teacher, teacher, um, yeah. Okay. I'm going to link all of that in the show notes. But yes, thank you so much and have a blessed day. Yes, you do the same. Thank you. Thank you for having me on More to Black. Wow. If you enjoyed that episode as much as I did, please let us know in the comments on our Instagram page at more to black LLC or the Facebook page at more to black LLC as well. This is why this podcast was actually started to orchestrate these types of discussions. So if you enjoy it, share it with someone that you think can benefit from it as well. And I'll tune in with you all the next time. Bye.